Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Dagan goddamn Eldorado Moriarty. Dagan, how are you, my friend? I knew you were going for that one. I I had to give a shout out to... Victor Sullivan. We go. Oh, you, ha- you have to do have to do the Sully thing. Of course. Look at the mind meld after four years. I know exactly what you're going. I usually don't know exactly what you're going to say. I got lucky this time. Yeah. Well, a broken clock is right twice a day, as they say. <laughs> Stay Sagan, How are you? How are you, my friend? How's everything going in your life? Everything's good. Everything's good. I just got back from my constitutional. I think I told you earlier in the week. I'm going on two walks a day now. Yeah. Right. Right. Just get the blood circulating, get my eyeballs, my peepers away from this computer monitor sure. for a little bit. Right. Oof. So I go on like usually. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Usually I do a, a 20 minute walk, maybe a 25 minute walk, and I try to do it twice a day. We have the hiking, I shouldn't call them hiking trails. They're walking trails in the neighborhood that sort of snake through. You're doing like the- Nathan Drake up the up the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just so happens that a tree yeah. had fall fell across the path. It's been windy here, and I had to do a little parkour. Oh, nice! Felt like, and it was when I say a little parkour, I mean it was a very little parkour, and still I think pulled the groin muscle. But you know what I was going to talk to you about? I, this Please. is the craziest thing. I think I've thought about this my whole life and never talked about this with anybody before. But you may be able to relate. So I go on these walks, and it's been it's been there's been a lot of precipitation in the area, Pennsylvania. Raining, snowing, ground's muddy, all that sort of thing. So, and we live in a pretty rural pocket. We live kind of in between suburbia and straight up farmland and vineyards and stuff. Closer to the farmland, you know, you know what it looks like. It's pretty rural sure. back here. So, it is. and the the woods, pretty big swath of woods encircles the the neighborhood. So I see animal prints in the mud. Right, you see deer, see raccoon plenty of squirrels, maybe seeing an occasional fox print in the, in the mud. I was a Boy Scout, so I can identify all that stuff, Kyle. Wow. But what I noticed a couple of days ago, and they're still there, were bear prints in the mud. Unmistakable. You know what a bear print looks like. They're also very large. Couldn't be anything else. So now we get bears here occasionally. Hasn't happened in years. I think when we we've been here ten years. I think when we first moved in, one of our neighbors had an episode <laughs> with a bear hanging out up in the fort of her kid's swing set, and they had to come and remove it. It was like a it was like a relatively young bear. It was pretty docile. It was not a big thing, but it was kind of scary. You know, you go, you kind of <laughs> everyone's lighting it up. You're on high alert after that. You know what I mean? Right, it's like a bear. That's kind of weird. Yeah, and we're good. not used to that coming from Long Island because that wasn't a thing. So, and then there's a tract of land supposedly that reaches out from like behind our neighborhood that extends up to northern Pennsylvania, like to the Poconos. So supposedly when, especially when they're pressed for food and stuff, 
we'll see an occasional bear, a mountain lion, which is particularly scary. What else? Coyotes will come down. But I hadn't seen, you know, tell of a bear. There's been no sign of a bear in years. So got got these bear prints. <laughs> I'm walking, taking my little walk at a brisk pace. And my mind just goes into daydream mode about what if I saw a bear? What would I do? Would I try to like climb on like to the baseball backstop? And then I'm thinking like your old ass isn't getting away from a bear. Like they're proficient climbers, right? So all these things, well, I jump in the lake, whatever it is, right? And my mind is running away with me. This is becoming like a waking dream. And I'm just, the scenario is playing out in my head and my, my imagination is going crazy. What would I do with this bear? Would I, there's a bunch of my neighbor's houses over there on another street, but I don't really know them that well. Which one would I pick? And my mind is just going crazy. And then I, I snap to probably like 15 minutes later, I get from point B to point F in my walk. Don't remember any of it because I'm too busy daydreaming about this scenario. And then when you snap out of it, it's like waking up from a dream. You realize like you were just going off into this weird fantasy and then you come back into it and you're like, what, what was I just doing? Like, what was even the purpose of imagining all that? Cause I saw bear prints. Has this happened to you where something will just jar you into like a waking fantasy and then your imagination runs off and you actually lose track of time and what you're doing. And you're like, Whoa, how did I get, sometimes it happens when you're driving and you're like, whoa, I don't even remember driving the last six or seven miles. I was so off in my in my own imagination. Can you speak to this or am I a crazy person? No, no, I, I can no, well, you are crazy, but I can speak to <laughs> I can speak to this for sure. I lose I specifically lose myself on walks with the dogs and especially when they're being good and I don't have to really worry about them. And then also when I'm working out, I lose track of Oh, myself. that's a big one. Yeah, because yeah, you're got, not doing I, anything. You're doing physical, but your men, your mental is a free to roam. Right. Right. You just I get I'm getting it all out of me. I I was just explaining to someone that I, I feel like I need to do it every day. Like I gotta just like get a lot of energy out because I feel so anxious otherwise. I wake up so anxious. But yeah, I can totally relate to that. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. It's good to lose yourself in <laughs> I solve a lot of problems that way too. And I've i I've talked extensively in in the past to the audience about I lose myself also in the shower. Oh where, yes. And I, I love thinking in the shower. I just stand there just like straight at look straight ahead with the waters hitting me. And I just, it's great. That's like a big one place. for people. I feel like the yeah. shower, they say, I don't, you know, we've talked about this. I don't like shower, hot shower, long, hot showers. And then shaving is the other one that men mm. particularly that, I don't, you know, they, they would say, I don't know if it's like the electrical circuit so close to my brain is, but you know, with the electric shaver, maybe it's stimulating something. But yeah, yeah th those are big ones. Shower, shaving, working out, that's got to be a bit, it's the same, right? That's my workout. You're on the elliptical. I'm out right, on the same, walking same thing. path. Same thing. Exactly. Right? Right. Right. So um, what about yeah. you? What's what's popping, my friend? You know, I've been thinking about, with all that, I, I don't like dating our episodes typically, but can't help but think about war Sure. this past week because oh, of what's going on oh, in uh, Eastern Europe. And, you know, I've just been thinking about how horrifying it is. And I was telling you that I've had this revelation the last few days as it's been going on, like erupting in Eastern Europe that it's for the, and I, I texted you this, that it, it's the first time in my life that we're like not involved. And it's somehow clarifying for me because 
I feel really bad about my support of the Iraq war. I don't feel bad about supporting Afghanistan. That was fine. But what was going on in Iraq was ridiculous. And I was very vehemently for it. A lot of people were. Sure. And we sure. were in Afghanistan for too long, too. But that's a different conflict. But when you're not associated, when you have no association with it, like no real association with it, other than the humanity, the shared humanity that you have between the peoples that are involved in yourself, it. I think is extra clarifying, as I said, to just reaffirming my just anti-war stance that it must be the absolute last. It, it, it has to be your last choice after everything else is expended. And I sure. think that's what's so disappointing about the situation is that it's it's totally unnecessary. Oh, it's and, crazy. Um, well, I can see and I totally understand. I've been reading and listening a lot and I totally get the arguments of like, well, well why is this happening? Why are we being so aggressive? And why is NATO like so close to them? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like, all that's fine. And I think we should talk about all of those things. Right. But at the end of the day, it's pretty scary in 2022 to see an expansionist war waged in the middle of Europe. And um, it really it's is not a political. It's not a political take or anything like that. Because I'm, I'm not like, obviously, I want the Ukrainians to win. I mean, I, I, I think that's pretty much pretty safe for everyone to assume. <laughs> but I think that the belligerence and the, 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 the reshaping of the world order is going to be scary. And I don't know if people are going to like what's going to end up happening now. And, and I, I think that it has this crazy knock-on effect, not just in Eastern Europe, but just everywhere. And I, I hope cooler heads prevail because... Oh, amen. We are on a... This is, the, this is the, the most razor's edge that NATO has ever been on. And... uh American, I was actually reading, should Russia occupy eastern Ukraine, we have American soldiers and Russian soldiers miles away from each other because we have them in Poland. So Right, right. And then who the fuck knows what happens if they start shooting at each other? I mean, and it's the other thing that the other thing I wanted to say, because we have a, we have a, actually a, a pretty old audience, which is nice, like old, old hats, but yeah, 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 and yeah. old heads, but for sure, we have a younger audience, too. Yeah. And uh, I watched what Iraq did to my generation. And it wasn't nearly as bad as what Vietnam did to our dad's generation. Oh, good Not point. even close. Yeah. But point. it was bad. I knew a lot of people that went over there. A lot of people fucked up. Like a lot of people my age. I'm 37 now and I've aged out of it. And I think that's why we have to be extra judicious because it's very easy for people like me now. Now I've aged out. Yeah. And nothing short of a Red Dawn situation is going to have me in a, in a military situation. I'm not even being like, facetious. That's true. Right. And so it's very easy for me to pontificate and move young men, typically young, poor and working class men around a map like risk pieces. And I'm not going to do it. And well, I, I don't want to be involved in it. And so I hope cooler heads prevail. Absolutely. Am, Dude, uh, absolutely. I'm a little nervous about it. You know, I'm it's nerve wracking. It. it really is. I've spent the last, the better part of like the last three weeks really educating myself. I'm very guilty of going through long periods of time without really paying attention to current events the way I should. And so I had to really get myself up to speed. And there's still a lot that I'm confused about or that I don't understand that I'm still clarifying, but I've learned a lot. And the more you learn and educate yourself, obviously, the more frightening it gets. And trying to read into people's personalities and their origins and what their ultimate bent is and all of that. It's 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 fascinating, but it's also really frightening. And yeah, at the end of the day, I think you're right. And I think I find the older I get too, the more 
that sentiment of that the more that anti-war very strong anti-war sentiment seeps in it's like that should be the absolute last vestige of action you know that should be the le- the, the actual last go to re- you know the last thing you go to on the table should be you know wasting lives spending lives expending lives whatever you want to call it yeah it's it's unbelievable it's going to be it's I think it's important for everyone to pay attention and yeah, it's just, it's, I was not expecting this, even though the buildup has obviously been happening for a while and we, everybody knows who Putin is, no surprise there, but this is a bridge further than I thought it would go at least this early in the year or this early in, you know, 2022, 2023, cause we knew tensions were building and we knew the <laughs> things, things were in the offing, but yeah, man, it's, it's unbelievable. It's hard to even know what to say or how to articulate it. Yeah, it, I agree. It's just been, uh, yeah, clarifying. That's the best word that I can that I can use because we don't have any we don't have any blood in the game, and I hate to put it that way, but we don't. So we have the knock on effects. the The magnitude, the magnitudal effects, have an effect on us, but we're not going to see our men and women coming home in coffins. And it allows us to, I think, more clearly see the situation for better and for worse. And I don't know. I, I just peace, man. Like, I hear that. I don't understand why this is so such a difficult concept. And it does require a salient look, not only at our adversaries, but at ourselves, too. Sure. And sure. I don't know. I don't want to get any further into it. I, I, I think that there's still a lot of things in play and all of that. But obviously, we wish everyone the very best. And. You know, I it's funny because well, it's not funny. I reached out to GSC Game World a week ago. They're the studio in Kiev that makes Stalker, the series. Stalker, oh, the Stalker shit. Games. And uh, I actually was in contact with them briefly to try to get them on the show before the invasion to talk about what was going on and what would happen at the game. Because they right. basically had said a month or so ago, the game's going to get canceled if, you know, if this happens like we and um, this happened notably with 4A games, which are the guys that make the Metro games. Right. Crimea was taken from Ukraine during the development of that game. And I talked to those guys at E3 and they moved the entire operation to Malta. So, you know, so they're out. Wow. And they just have like a, a, a small satellite studio there now. So there's, it touches the games. Uh, I'm trying to tell that story too. It touches the games industry. But speaking of history and all of this, reaching back into a complex past, <laughs> but in a much more fun way. Although Definitely. arguably is murderous. Nathan Drake might kill as many people as a Russian battalion in the entire war. <laughs> the body count is thick. Yeah, the body count's high. <laughs> the body count is high. But we're going to talk today about the 2007 PlayStation 3 exclusive smash hit. One of the most important games to ever come to the console, I would argue. Uncharted Drake's Fortune launched in late 2007 from Naughty Dog, the Sony-owned studio that is renowned this, today for their work in The Last of Us primarily and Un- Uncharted, of course, too. There have been four Uncharted games from Naughty Dog as well as one from Bend. So there are five total, plus a spinoff that was kind of a standalone from Naughty Dog, Lost Legacy. So there's quite a bit of Uncharted, but we're going to stick here with the first one. And Dagan only has experience with this first one. So as we received many inquiries about this show, I'm really only going to stick to talking about this game so that we can move on to the next one and the next one or whatever. Of course. So a lot of people asking, what do you think about this and this guy's evolution and this? It's like, well, we're going to stay away from that. I I don't know yet. Exactly. I want to have a conversation about this game itself. 
And this was a, by the way, a vote over on Patreon. So if you support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia, like many thousands of you do, and we really appreciate that. Thank you so much. One of the many perks you get, in addition to early exclusive access to every episode of the show, is the ability to submit ideas for the show, vote on other people's ideas. We have one fan voted topic come through every month, and they're actually stacking up because I have them written down here. Uncharted was one of them. Uncharted 2 is another one of them. Metal Gear Solid 4 is another one of them. Red Dead Redemption oh, is another one of them. That's going to come next, I think. That's and then next. Star Wars Episode 3. We're still holding on to that. Oh, I'm not ready. I was just thinking I'm just about not this. ready. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> invasion Invasion. i did have to say i did have to i when i saw what what everything was happening a few days ago i did have to tell dagan that you know to his face you know i I had to make sure he heard me that i was saying that constantly and micah was like just like glaring at me i'm like the russians have crossed the border and the don't ask it can mean only one thing invasion (laughs) i love that guy in star wars guys i don't know what the fuck that guy's name is all right If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Dig, Uncharted, Drake's Fortune, PlayStation 3, 2007. I want to, usually I kick it over to you immediately, but I want to actually introduce this with uh, a letter from Kabuto Kishi, who wrote into us on Patreon. We have many of your inquiries to get through I for this episode, it. but he says, hey, Sick Parvis, Magna Collin, and Victor Dagan Sullivan. I don't have as much of a question as I do a brief story. I was an Xbox 360 kid through and through. My friends and I were balls deep in Call of Duty, Halo Reach, and Gears of War on that platform, and I couldn't imagine dropping the $600 or whatever that S9 cost was for a PS3. I crashed at a buddy's one time in high school, and as he had Uncharted on his PS3, he fell asleep. But before he did, he turned on the PS3 and handed me the controller to try it. I stayed up the entire night and played Uncharted through from beginning to end. I was stunned. I believe within a week, I had sold my 360, bought a PS3, and the entire Uncharted collection. Uncharted 3 had just come out, so this was 2011 or 2012. Yeah, yeah. This game was completely responsible for getting me back into PlayStation. I have to identify this game as being, you know, marking this game in PlayStation history. I, I think I know PlayStation history better than any other piece of game, like the game sphere. That's what I know the best. I think Nintendo would be in there a little bit from the old school and some other things. But when you look at the legacy of PlayStation from 1994 slash 1995, even 1993 as it was founded, but 1994 when the console came out in Japan, 1995 in, in the West, And all the way through to today, there's just very specific releases that are very important to the consoles. And I would argue that Uncharted Drake's Fortune is maybe in the top five games that were ever released. Not in terms of quality, but in terms of when they were delivered and what they delivered. And in so I was thinking about how I was going to do this with Uncharted because I was like, should I play it again? I'm like, I really don't want to play it again. And I was thinking about how many times I've beaten it. I've beaten the game at least five times. <laughs> That's and, a lot. I, and, and I've platinum the game. People go look at my trophies. I platinum the game twice. I platinumed it on PS3 and then I did it again on PS4, which means in those two things, I beat them at least twice each because you have to get crushing difficulty unlocked and all that. So that's how I did it. And I know these games intimately. So what I did instead was I watched a full playthrough of the game. 
and uh, someone doing it very efficiently. And I was just kind of fast forwarding through the gameplay parts. I'm like, yeah, I remember this. I remember this. Okay. And going with voiceover ver- or without? I'm always curious. Oh, no, without. Just without. Straight, okay. Just oh, watching yeah, without. the game. Okay. And just I just took copious notes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this. I remember that. I remember that. Sure. And it brought back so many memories. And I think the thing that I want to start with with the game is PlayStation was in a lot of trouble when this game came out. And I would argue that the brand was at its absolute lowest, in fact, when Uncharted came out. And wow. that it was Uncharted Drake's fortune that allowed it to start climbing out of the hole that it was in. It's weird to think about, but exclusives weren't as important as they used to be. In fact, if you think about the PS1, it's like there are third-party exclusives that are really important on the console, but it's you don't think about PlayStation quality. That's not a thing yet. And when you think about PlayStation 2, a lot of second and third-party games are coming out from Level 5 and all these different studios, but the first party still wasn't that important. And, you, and when you had games like Killzone coming out of Gorilla, I'm wearing their shirt today, or you have a game like Jack and Daxter coming out of Naughty Dog, God of War, the original God of War with Jaffe coming out of Sony Santa Monica, these were important games. But because things were so busy, because the competition was so fierce with the Nintendo and Microsoft, PlayStation found itself in third place and actually getting the shit beat out of it. And it was very weird. It was a weird time. I remember very well. And there was nothing of real consequence. Resistance Fall of Man was good. Motorstorm was good. There were some second party games like Heavenly Sword that were good. But Uncharted Drake's Fortune, as I recall, and I'm sure a lot of people do, was the game that a lot of PlayStation fans looked at and said, like, this is the potential of the machine. And in watching that playthrough and just being reminded, I'm like, holy shit, this game is excellent. I mean, this is an excellent game. I think that through modern lens, people would look at it as a little short. I like that. It takes place over basically one day. Very short. Yep. And you can beat it. And I would say 10 or 12 hours is stretching it. I don't even know how you would spend 10 or 12 hours. With the game, Agreed. But, Agreed. But you could. And I like those bite size. It was not really bite size, but I like those smaller games, weekend games, as I like to call them. And I remember I was writing strategy guides at IGN when this game came out and two games came out in 2007 that were seminally important, which were which were the original Assassin's Creed and the original Drake's Fortune. And in 2009, both of those games got their sequels and we'll do Uncharted 2, as I said. And people started to realize that these ambitious third person action shooter, whatever games were actually what the what was going to happen like it. It wasn't platformers. It wasn't obviously side scrollers and 2D games and even shooters, which were very important, but that there was going to be this movement, especially in PlayStation, that this was the move forward. And when you think about Uncharted Drake's Fortune, and then you think of The Last of Us and the rebooted God of War and Spider-Man and Days Gone and Horizon and Ghost of Tsushima and Infamous and all these games, they're all pretty much in this mold of high quality third person action. Right. And so I wanted to point that out, not only from what I remember about it, but being there and just knowing that Uncharted Drake's Fortune was the game that people gather around TVs to watch at IGN. And people that was the game that people wanted to play and wanted to understand. And the fact that they, you know, they made it is is amazing because they didn't it wasn't obvious to let Naughty Dog do this. These days, it's it's seems suicidal for Naughty Dog to make a cartoonish game. But this was the first serious game they ever made. Yeah. And or at least since their Genesis days and maybe there's some of their PC stuff. But as far as console releases are concerned, going from Crash Bandicoot to Jack and Daxter to Uncharted is not intuitive. And 
it worked and it i would i argue and i've said it before i think Naughty dog is the best studio in the industry and i think it starts with this game so with all that said i wanted to bring this in from jacob he says the release of the ps3 slim in 2009 was my first real step into playstation so i have a lot of nostalgic memories of this era kevin butler finding podcast beyond and of course drake's fortune kevin butler do you know who kevin butler is i don't so kevin butler was uh you probably would remember it, but it was those famous commercials that were on for a few years of PlayStation where it was like the guy that was the fake PlayStation executive, but he would, it would always be like yes. funny, like situations yeah. he would find himself in. And he got fired actually, like, and it was like got sued, I think, by Sony because he did a, a, a touch or a, a Bridgestone commercial where he was playing a Nintendo Wii, which apparently was no. like not, was against his contract since he's looked at as that character. And you can go read about it. This was <laughs> That's amazing. maybe 10 years ago. So he says. Jacob goes on and says, I remember marveling at how Nate's jeans would get wet depending on how far into the water you waited. And I'll never forget seeing the submarine stranded on the cliffside for the first time. The very first trophies I ever earned are in this game, and I have been hooked ever since. So it was really cool going back and seeing the exact date I earned one each one 13 years ago. That's the best part about trophies, by the way. Do either of you have any early <laughs> PS3 memories connected to this game or general reminiscence of the early era? I'm curious, Dave, since you were you were not on the outside looking in quite at this point yet you you and you played Wii and you had ps2 and later ps3 and all of this but yeah i feel like uncharted might have passed you by and i'm wondering what your first impressions of this game were and when you became acquainted with it because it's a big one and an important one and i'm wondering you know leading up to this of course you and finally haven't played it all the way through you must have become familiar with it earlier yeah you know it's this is one of those crazy episodes where it's so nice to go back in time you know now we're talking about almost 15 years i'm channeling god new dad dagan we had our first daughter we only had one child at that time she was seven or eight months old in november of 2007 and yeah i love all the associated pieces of history associated with this game with naughty dog and thinking about them now versus then and their first sort of quote-unquote realistic game outing coming out of jack and daxter and you know, all of the all of the other cartoony stuff that they were known for. You know, now we think of The Last of Us and we think of them as like the game studio, the high quality storytelling, cinematic game studio. But when you think of Crash Bandicoot, it's like, wow, like they came. This was a bold move. And I love all the history that you bring up. It's so interesting to hear, especially interesting for me to hear the history with PlayStation and Sony and that reminder about what the playing field was like at that time, which is a pretty steep reminder, pretty stark reminder of how things were then because it's, the culture has changed so dynamically since then. And you know what? It's funny. I think on our PlayStation 3 episode or talking about other PlayStation 3 games, I got my first PS3. To my best recollection, it was early 2009, but I wasn't playing anything. In fact, I remember, I think I told this story, I almost gave my PS2 to my neighbor at that time in our old house because I thought I was moving on and then things just got busy being a dad and with working, I was commuting. I think in 2007, I might have still been commuting full-time to New York from Southeastern Pennsylvania, so it was a crazy time. But the crazy thing about a topic like this is it's so nice to finally be acquainted with the first installment of this legendary franchise because... It's one of those game series, you know, you think you always hear Uncharted, Uncharted, Uncharted for years now, I've been hearing that, right? And those inevitable thoughts of, come on now, how good can these games possibly be? Well, I have to say, I'm here to tell you, I had never played any of them. I had never played the first one. So getting all the way through it very early on, minutes into it, 
I was hooked. And I had an absolute blast. And once again, I, I report back to you guys, hat in hand, with a humble, I get it now. Just like we just did recently with Halo and the first outing in that franchise. So glad I played this. So glad the door is open to keep going with the series because I hear great things and I'm, I'm relatively unspoiled. I heard one thing, unfortunately, in reading a spoiler for, I believe, the second game, but I'm relatively unspoiled for the rest. And I'll just start my side of the conversation with saying pure fun. That's what this game was for me. It was very, I found it very accessible. I got right into it very quickly, minutes in. It was a little uncomfortable for the first couple of minutes. Then I got acclimated very quickly and had an absolute blast. Like you're saying, very digestible, very short. I think for the quality wedged in and the dynamic amount of stuff here, the variety, unbelievable. I couldn't believe how much they crammed into like, some people beat this game in eight hours. You're saying 12 hours max. I think I ended up spending 16 hours with the game just because just, I and I think it was exactly 16 hours all told. But for me, that's short. And I had an absolute ball, absolute ball from, I can't wait to break it down incrementally, but that that's what I'll say from the outset. I had a blast. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And I think a lot of the audience will be glad to hear that too. I want to start with the center of Uncharted, which is Nathan Drake. And Max Cannon wrote in and said, Sick Parvis Magna Moriarty's. The cinematic commercial for Drake's <laughs> Fortune caught my attention when I was 14 and became my obsession until I was gifted a PS3 and a copy of the game for my 15th birthday. I have incredibly fond memories of Uncharted, and I have to point out that Nolan North's performance as Drake is, in my opinion, the first truly great mocap performance in gaming. I'd even go as far as to boldly say that North's Drake is the most well-acted character in all of gaming when taking the whole series into consideration. While there were memorable performances in games prior to Drake's fortune, I think Nathan Drake was the first character I'd ever played, as that was just as believable in gameplay as he was in cutscenes, especially when you consider where the industry was in 2007. Thrilled to hear you discuss this game, that the game that started it all. Thank you, Max, for writing in. So I have to start with Drake because I think Nathan Drake is just so cool. Like, I love Nathan Drake. I've always loved Nathan Drake. He can't do anything wrong in my eyes. And I find him just dashing and interesting and smart. I love I, I, I love the scene in, in this game where Elena is kind of just marveling because he's just reading 16th century, like mid, middle Spanish. And you think he's kind of just like a, a moron sometimes or whatever, but he's actually incredibly educated, incredibly smart. You learn much more about that later, about where he comes from and all of that. And we won't get into that here. But I love just the entire characterization of him. And I know that it's easy. And, and Amy Hennig, who I've interviewed extensively, and people can go read my many, the many things I've done uh, regarding her and especially the history of Naughty Dog, in which I spoke to her extensively. She's a major inspiration for me as a writer. and. Not uh, actually more. And I was telling Dagan more organizationally than anything, because I saw how they organized Uncharted 4 specifically before it was announced. And I've kind of copied that organization for our role playing game that we're working on, just because I, I really loved the way she did it. It's awesome. And so and so cool. I'll tell you guys about that when the time comes. But for for now, I have to just really focus on the lovability of this character, the wonderful writing and dialogue, the wit, the banter and it's all well not all but a lot of it is motion captured and it's funny you brought up halo because we really liked halo when we did halo uh, combat evolved about a month or so ago this is six years later and oh it's come a long way game storytelling has come a long way if we said that there was one 
I think inherent and blatant weakness in Halo was just the lack of storytelling. It just wasn't very compelling from that point of view, which is a shame because it's so interesting. Yeah. And here they don't take they don't let anything go. There's a lot of good stuff like it's very cinematic. There's a scene where I think Navarro is smoking a cigarette or it's Raja, I think, is smoking a cigarette and he throws it. And then there's there's a shot of the cigarette hitting Drake as he's hiding underneath the bridge. And you just think about these cinematic touches. It's, it's like so this good. is this is not common in video games at this point in fact there were almost no games i would say maybe metal gear and a few other games were the only ones that were this detail oriented and i was struck even though i was watching a ps4 playthrough of it did you play on ps3 or ps4 i played it on ps4 yeah ps4 okay cool yep. that's the way I, that's by the way i think the way everyone should play it and like the nathan drake collection is just a really easy way to play but i watched the ps4 playthrough of it so it has finer textures i think the frame rate's going to be bumped a little bit but it looks beautiful too like i'd it's funny you look at it and you're like this is especially playing recently horizon forbidden west which is maybe the most living game i've ever played you look at this and you see man there's a lot of dead eyes and no yes. facial wreck but when you really just put yourself back into the historical relativism of 2007 it's like damn dude i remember being so blown away by it but i think it all starts with nathan drake it all starts with nolan north I, i'm curious what you what you take away especially you don't know him very well yet no so it's that's so exciting because there's so much more for, for you to learn about Nate, the stories of nathan drake and where he comes from and how he met sully and where he, you know who his parents were and all this stuff and how he became obsessed with this ring and there's a lot and you know him just a little bit right and uh, just start curious so I'm curious what your takeaway is of Nathan Drake. What do you think about this character? Well, I love hearing that, how much you love him, having experienced all the iterations of all the games, the entire franchise, that he's not, not only is he cool in this first outing, but he stays cool and that, and how much you care for him. That gives me a lot to look forward to. So I'm super happy to hear that. And you do, you fall in love with this character relatively quickly. He, quickly he's very fun. He's approachable. He's sort of this everyman, very likable. Of course, he's the protagonist that we're following along through this adventure. I think it's got, you know, right away, this game smacked of two things for me. Indiana Jones, of course. through and through. And it reminded me a little bit of, I don't know why it was calling up Tomb Raider because... Oh, definitely. Tomb Raider was one of my very first PlayStation experiences. In fact... I got the first PlayStation bundled with, I think, Battle Arena, Toshin. Yeah, Den, you did. At, right? At, nobody beats the Wiz. <laughs> at Wiz, that's right. Mm -hmm. And I think I got Tomb Raider that same day, if not a couple within a couple of days. So that was like my first game that I purchased outside of the pack-in. And just remembering how clunky it was. I was going through a very tough time with already with the advent of the N64 and video games sort of going from 2D to CG and how polygonal everything was and blocky and i had a very sort of hard adjustment with that you know i was kind of clinging to the 2d fighters and the fluid animation and i was very begrudgingly accepting this new generation of video ga games coming in and not only did tomb raider look awful but i just it just played so clunky and it's had a very terrible i didn't i never even got anywhere with that game because i just had such a bad experience with it and just thinking of like how this this could have been how they handled. Look how far things evolved. Whereas like I feel like it's like this is what they meant with Tomb Raider. It's that amazing. But you know, and and Drake is the tip of the spear with that, right? He's he and I love just the whole thing. And I I mentioned earlier the keyword being fun, right? So he's got it's that whole treasure hunter thing. 
a little bit of a younger, slightly more lighthearted Indiana Jones. So you have that whole formula working for you. This energetic, high-spirited, a little sarcastic, slightly irreverent, very, again, very likable. He's got that irrepressible can-do attitude and that swagger. And even though he's in this, he's in this foreign land, alien land, very dangerous, being pursued by dangerous people and uncovering this lethal plot, that air and tone of fun stays front and center, like the old adventure serials that this was modeled after. You know, you have that sense of fun and lightheartedness, the constant joking, where it, this could take a completely different tone and almost be horrific. But I love the fact that they keep it fun and they keep it light. And, and Drake and the character of Nathan Drake and I guess Nolan North's vocal performance at the, at the center of that really keeps a, a fun tone and keeps you going through the game. It's a very, the game moves at a very brisk pace, I felt like. Not too rushed, but it felt like a proper adventure. Chases, running, trying to uncover, you know, get to certain milestones, rescuing. All these type of things, the the platforming, the combat, everything was so was just a good time. It, it was just a really good time. It felt lighthearted. And then you have the substance underneath that. And like what you're saying with Naughty Dog, treating ever everything thoughtfully, the characters, the graphics, the gameplay, everything is just so. Everything is done to a T. And I think it makes for a really amazing experience. And also what you what you had mentioned a little bit too, Kyle, how well it's aged. You know, you're talking about a game that's going on 15 years old. And yeah, you have the uncanny valley. You have the weird facial stuff. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is before, right before they started largely mo-capping facial. Although I know it was a lot of physical dynamic uh, mo-cap for the body. So a lot of that stuff was traditionally, you know, realized and animated. So you, you do have the eyes and it's a little strange, but... It's amazing how well it holds up in the face of all of these newer things, like you mentioned. Really, really beautifully done. And that part of I'm playing an old game was such a small part of the experience, a much smaller part of the experience than it was than I felt like it was going to be. With Halo, that was a big part of it. It was like, okay, this feels dated, even though obviously I had a blast with it. This felt a lot less dated than I thought it was going to be a decade and a half on, which is, uh, that was a great treat. Yeah, it's a good sign. And, you know, hats off to Amy Hennig again, who I just, I think brought a lot out of these characters. Uh, first of all, invented these characters, studied a lot of film, like you said, obviously drew a lot from Indiana Jones, obviously drew a lot from Tomb Raider as well. People used to call this Dude Raider back in the day, if you recall. <laughs> I read that. Yeah. So... <laughs> There, it's definitely they out Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider, and then I think actually with the Tomb Raider reboots, the attempt out of Crystal Dynamics at that time, I believe, was to out Uncharted, Uncharted, which they kind of did and they kind of didn't. Those Tomb Raider games are pretty good. They're no Uncharted, but they're also a little different than Uncharted too. So I won't give them up. And they make Lara into such a a better character than she used to be. You know, uh, when she was just she had her triangle boobs and all that kind of <laughs> stuff, which was fine. It was fine. I saw a cosplay for that recently. It was brilliant. Yeah, that's great. It's good stuff. And and of course, Lara Croft is is a great character, too. But Nathan Drake, iconic. You brought up Indiana Jones. The chosen one wrote into us and said, once you run across the crumbling platforms that was sold on this franchise, I reached safely and thought I'm playing an Indiana Jones game. And I've been hooked ever since. 
did the sentiment resound with you at all? I, yeah, of course. This was, I think, the major thing because, as I said, Drake is so cool. But who is the other cool character? Indiana Jones. I mean, at yes. least for me as a grow, growing up, and you had said this because archaeology, you turned, were kind of turned on to archaeology, archaeology club and all this you'd brought up in the past in elementary school through Indiana Jones. I think Indiana Jones was the first time I ever saw in my own mind an academic who was cool and stylish i love the the scene where the girl what i don't remember what movie it's in it's in the first one i think where she, the girl closes her eyes and it's like yeah that's the first one yeah that's raiders yeah and that's that's pretty cool and Good so shit. he's such a cool character with his whip and his pistol and he's, he's got a lot of bravado but i like drake in the same way and for some reason it just works we know who he's imbibing you know who he's going with but it still works nonetheless I remember when I was asking you about it uh, over text, you had said that and you had brought up earlier, too, that you weren't quite first feeling the game, but you kind of quickly got into it. Yeah. What was your initial impression? Was it the, the gameplay or was it the presentation that was a little startling to you? Yeah, I think it was the gameplay. That first bit of the game where you're on the boat and you're waiting for Sully to capture you, uh, capture you to rescue you in the seaplane and you're fighting off the pirates that are encircling the boat in their four little frigates or whatever. And yeah, I think it was just a matter of the slippery aiming and shooting, which again, I got acclimated to very, very quickly. But I, And I think thinking back, because the, the whole of the game isn't like this, but that's a very claustrophobic, tight environment where you're on that ship. There's no, really nowhere to go. And most of the game isn't like that. Most of the game is much more open where you could, you could run for cover. You could be a little more stealthy. You have a little more room to operate. That's almost kind of a bad beginning for that game because it's not really indicative of what's going to come next but that's what it was and you know i have no idea what's about to happen or what the game as a whole is going to be like so i'm thinking all right this is a little weird is it going to be so controlled and so tight where i feel like i didn't have a lot of autonomy but the game right after that it's like oh no the the scope the magnitude the scale you're going to have it's going to be more much more sprawling and much more open, even though there's not a lot of exploration. Exploration is very light, especially exploration is probably nil if you're not looking for the 60 treasures, right? It's it's pretty linear. But that first thing, thinking back, it was a nice little experience because it's kind of a one-off. And this is a game, you know, you have the, if you think of the jet ski, you think of the Jeep segments, you think of different, the quick time events, whatever. Everything's kind of a one-off. They squeeze a lot of experience into this game. They were trying to, they were trying to shoehorn horn in a lot which i think 90 percent of the time works in its favor in the game's favor but yeah that was the initial thing it was like a little bit of flop sweat in the beginning like oh i don't know how i'm gonna like this but two or three minutes in i was you know i was completely sold and couldn't you know one of those games like halo and i keep bringing up halo because it was a recent one but almost every game we've played on the show where i would just look forward to spending time with it once the kids went to bed it's like i'm gonna spend you know from nine to midnight i'm gonna it's gonna be me and Drake's fortune. And I couldn't, I couldn't wait to, to get back to it. So fun. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear that. The gameplay is a problem for some Some people, Derek Hoffman wrote in and said, hi guys, uncharted is where the modern naughty dog started. And I think it's a great game. However, I think it's the weakest, mostly from a gameplay level. I don't find it very fluid and it definitely doesn't measure up to the storytelling and visuals. Is this where the phrase naughty dog struggles with gameplay started? And do you mm. agree? Mm. Knockback rules. Thanks guys. So Yo. naughty dog often gets, pinched for gameplay and i think that 
my personal take on the Uncharted games all the way through were was that people were getting a little too crazy about what how the game controlled. And I remember thinking that at the time people were really beating up Drake's fortune. Uncharted three actually was a game people beat up for that from that perspective. Oh, too. Interesting. They, they, they switched something that really bothered people. Oh, and then okay. I think Uncharted four really started getting more into the conventions of like auto aim and all that, which is fine. Okay. But I think people have to remember that. And this is my estimation and people might not agree, but the third person shooter in 2007 that nut wasn't really cracked until the previous year. I, I think you can go you back. Yeah, because I think you can go. First of all, there are many third person cover based shooters, but I think you can go back to Kill Switch, which was a really important one. And then, of course, Gears of War, when it comes out in 2006 on Xbox 360, was, I would argue, other than Kill Switch, the first game that truly felt great. I love Gears of War. I think that game's awesome. And it's very. It's very bullet heavy. It's it's first of all, it's, it's heavy to play. Everyone's spongy. Uncharted okay. doesn't feel that way. Uncharted is much more arcadey. It's why you have to kind of suspend your disbelief when you play Uncharted, because it doesn't really make any sense when you think about it. Oh, God. Like, yeah, it's like a lot of that. it's like Nathan Drake is just first of all, there's like history everywhere that's not been touched for hundreds of years. Nathan Drake <laughs> is just murdering everyone. I mean, his body count is insane by the end of the game. Nonetheless, the end of all of his games. So you have to kind of suspend your disbelief from that perspective. But I encourage people to kind of look at it through a different lens, which is it wasn't trying to be a tight third person shooter. It didn't purport to really be that way. And I think it's it could control better. They improve it on the PS4 version for sure. But yeah. I think it's totally fine. And maybe when you're when you're let me back up when a game is being played gameplay is important having fun and having a functional game is of course central to playing games but i also think that when everything around a game is so good and you're beating up beating it up kind of half-heartedly because that's the only thing that stands out is maybe not up to stuff i think that's a pretty good thing for 2007 2007 was a really big year in video games it was one of the biggest years ever this is the year super mario galaxy came out this is the year bioshock came out this is the year the orange box came out portal a lot of big games came out in 2007 Big, That's big, a big, big year. games. Yeah. And Uncharted standing out, Assassin's Creed, like I said, and Uncharted standing out even amongst all of those crisis, the original crisis. I mean, it's a it's a big year. So I wanted to throw that out there. Dig, I wanted to ask you about Victor Sullivan. Sure. Josh Games wrote in and said, what's up, Moriarty bros? What did you all think of the reveal that Sully wasn't actually killed early on in the game? So if you see anything from the other games, you know that Sully's not dead. But I'm wondering how you felt about Sully and if you how you felt about him seemingly dying i do i can't go back to that moment because i don't remember you just know that he he doesn't so it's it doesn't have that quite that same resonance but i love that character i love the father-son aspect of their relationship which i think comes out more and more as time goes on and i don't think that i i don't think i appreciated with with roland and navarro that they are like the shadow version of Drake and Sully. I don't think I oh, actually ever really noticed that until I watched the game. And I'm like, oh, it's like a mirror image because you hear the specific the specific thing with uh, with Roland or I'm sorry, with Roman. It's Gabriel Roman, not Roland. Right. right. With, with Gabriel that he says something like the you left your to Navarro. I, you left your brain in the slum I found you in. And oh, shit. I don't think I even recognized that. And so they have like this this almost friendship where the old man is the the kind of the the money and the substance and the young guys kind of bringing him on this chase it's exactly what drake is doing to sully 
but they have this good friendship. You're not supposed to know how they meet yet. I won't spoil it for you. So we'll just talk about them as we know them from this game. What do you think of Sully? Yeah, super cool. I love the formula. That's a really good catch about Roman and Navarro too, because I thought the villains were relatively unexplored. Like we didn't get too much origin with that, I felt like, but that's a good catch, that little that one bit. <laughs> They're kind of shadow versions of the of the protagonist. But Sully was a lot of fun. You know, I love the fact of again, like just at fun center at front and center in this game, the idea of fun. Like there's something so with Nathan, there's something so cool about a character who's in such intense danger, not recognizing that. Like there's something so cool about a character not recognizing the danger that they're in and just being so intrepid and lighthearted about everything because you're kind of putting yourself in that position be like, I'd be shitting a brick, you know, but that's like, like watching an indie film, like they're facing these ins- insane perils and not only succeeding, but they're relatively cool about it. And I think Sully is another character who helps b- tease that out of this game where it's like, you have this long time treasure hunting partner, this mentor or father figure type for Nathan. And I love, you know, there's a lot of, sort of fun cliche in there the eternally cigar chomping wise cracking father-son relationship but it reminded me again of indiana jones right the last crusade where indy and his dad had this very contentious relationship where this relationship's a little more easygoing they get along better they're a little if if it gets argumentative it's more it's more in a playful fashion And I love the fact that you have the older character as sort of the con man. You know, Sully is sort of the confidence dude. He's sort of the one. You get a lot of Nathan's personality. You could see how Sully passed down a lot of those traits as far as his character, as far as his personality, his tactics, all that kind of thing. You could see a lot of Nathan already, even though I'm just starting to get to know these characters, which I thought was really fun. And I love that brief flirtation with, first of all, whether Sully is a traitor or a turncoat. And then him getting killed seemed like an interesting twist. And then, of course, the bullets deflected by Francis's diary that's in his pocket and the whole thing, which is like the old World War II legend of the Zippo lighter that blocks the bullet. Like it was kind of a reflection of that. Super, super fun. And you know, another thing that's sort of another fun part of the formula for stuff like this, I think that comes out of the old adventure serials and indie and Johnny quest and other lovable treasure hunter types Lupin the third and everything is luck. And I think Nathan and Sully share this sort of they're guided this sort of romance or they're sort of guided by lady luck. You know, they have a definitely luck is part of their formula for success or why they, survive this kind of shit and that's just fun you know that's just a fun thing to put into the game and i i I enjoyed that and i enjoyed the relationship and again like the voice acting this is richard mcgonagall right Right. that does the voice of sully really distinctive voice interestingly fits perfectly for the way victor looks although the voice actor looks nothing like the actual victor sullivan voice fits perfectly and again that charisma that charm it just makes it you want to follow them along in this adventure it's kind of a pleasure and the same thing with elena you know it's a it's a it's a pretty good trio of uh likable characters yeah she uh, he's great and i love you know what i love this is a decision that they make i think in the writing of the game that 
could have created a lot of tension, but they chose not to. And I'm really happy they didn't, which is that they never make Drake doubt Sully. When Elena says to him, are you sure about this guy? He's like, he kind of brushes her off, which I like. Yeah. It signals a deeper connection. And while when they find him later on in the library and they confront him and he does, Nathan does say like, it's kind of weird, isn't it? And then he explains everything to him and realize that their friendship really like Elaine is kind of the, the objective observer that would make the obvious assumption. And yet yes. the writing doesn't bring you down that road. Did you think that Sully was dead or did you know well enough about the series to know that? he? No, was I had no idea. I mean, it gets a little weird because it seems like Drake gets, Nathan gets over it quickly, but I right, think that that's is just weird. built into the event. You know, it's such a short, the breath of the whole adventure is so short that it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to make him grieve for three hours. You, you know, you could, you really couldn't do it. It's kind of like one of those impossible things to pull off in a video game or very difficult thing to do. But no, I, I didn't know what to think, but you're, you make a great point about Sully. I rather Nathan standing by Sully and saying he's capable of a lot of things, but he's not capable of being a traitor. He's, you know, he's, he's sure of that. He has complete conviction in his friend. And that, again, that's that, because it, it could get dark there, right? Maybe the new the new members kind of talking Nathan into something that, you know, it's like, oh man, did my friend betray me type of thing? And that could take on a whole nother tone, but it just keeps that, it just keeps that fun adventure serial tone where it's like, no way, not my friend type of thing. And it's true. He, and in fact, he was working to throw off the enemy, which makes it even cooler. It was like Sully was like really trying to mislead them. Right. In accidentally to leads them Nathan to the treasure, time. but yeah, accidentally leads them to it. But his oh, yeah, intention was his intention was not to. So I, I had to ask you what I like about this game, too, is there are very few characters. They introduce some core characters in other games that you get to know that actually are in mo more than one game. But OK, for now, we only have th these three protagonists. And the third is Elena, played by Emily Rose. Now. I've met Emily Rose a few times. I've met all of these people, of oh, course. Oh, that's but awesome. When I'm, I, I say this only because Emily Rose was in Jericho. And I had to I had to tell her. I was like, I just want, when I met her, I'm like, this is a, she was like doing a press tour or whatever. I'm like, this is irrelevant. I fucking love Jericho. What did she say and to that? She's like, oh, it's so cool. Thank you. She played Trish for people that don't. That I don't knew she that looked familiar. I knew she was in, because I watched the making of Drake's Fortune. And I was right. like, I know. And that's from the same era. Like the, she, she had really filmed is. Jericho and Uncharted around the same time. Jericho was the so, best. Oh, definitely. It was it's awesome. The best. And so, yeah, she was in, I think, the second se season, if I remember correctly. And then she was the main character in that show Haven, which I never watched, but that's oh, where you might, might know her as well. But she, I think she's like kind of soft retired now. I think she has like kids and, and she's out. But I really like her, too. And again, another writing choice that they make that I think is very interesting is after... Drake thinks that uh, Sully is dead. He kind of wants to leave. She's the one that wants him to stay to keep fighting. And I like that a lot. I think that it's an interesting sort of approach where she she has her own angle. She's the journalist. In fact, one of my favorite shots in the entire game is when and I remember this when I was watching. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember really loving that was when she finally lets go of the camera and she says, like, damn, or something How like that. She's that dropping it. And I loved that. And how she just wanted the story and how she was incredibly brave and she's charming. And of course, there's just romance bubbling with her and, and Drake and all of this. But I'm really taken by her character. I love the performance. I've always really loved Elena. I, I think she's a great character. I think sometimes AI companions can get distracting and annoying. Yes. But it's not The Last of Us. And I don't mean this as an insult to The Last of Us because it's obviously one of my favorite games ever. But Ellie 
being seen by the enemies but not alerting the enemies is a design choice because the game would be unplayable otherwise and would frustrate the shit out of people mm, because they have no mm-hmm. control over this other character and playing something a little more pulpy like this. It doesn't really matter that Elena is just running around firing her gun that that Sully's firing his Magnum pistol and all of these kinds of things around. So she's never a bother. It's 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 she's much like Sully. She's there for banter as well and the banter never stops i love it just how it never stops never ever stops i think drake says at one point like there's blood everywhere and soup and it's like what what the hell are you talking about just a lot of weird weird (laughs) stuff in there so what do you think about elena fisher the journalist i really came to love this character quickly it was almost like the ramping up of getting the getting acclimated with the gameplay it was like all right this character has a very specific journey thinking back. It was like, all right, what am I, how am I going to feel about this character? She kind of starts out. Well, you know, she becomes a proper partner for Nathan, which I love, you know, a a proper proxy, just as important to him in this quest, I would say, but you know, you first get to know her. She's, you think, all right, this is just first serving as this escorted character, right? Then it seems like she has kind of a mind of her own. She has her own mission. You know, Nathan wants to get the artifact. She wants to get the shot. So they're kind of vying for their passions, but there's a similarity between the two because he wants the treasure. She wants to make it the documentary. They're both willing to sacrifice life and limb for their, for their goals, which is kind of cool. And then just becomes a full fledged integral necessary part of the journey, you know, which I, which I love, you know, they, they gave her that growth and, you know, she has a very similar courage and cleverness and wit to, to Nathan. And, you know, that, those things, those sort of qualities prove vital to Drake. You know, her heroic efforts save him, save his skin on more than one occasion. And it makes sense for the character, right? You think of this tough reporter slash journalist slash documentary filmmaker, you know, she's got to have that thick outer layer of courage, you know, that's necessary just to do her job. Think of like an embedded vice reporter or something, right? Like she has to have that sort of intrepid quality, almost like a treasure hunter type character would have in order to go on a caper like this. And just the spirit of the character. I love that one scene. I think it's right in the beginning, right? Where he gives her the gun. And she's like, have you ever used one of these? And she's like, yeah, just point and shoot. You know, and she's a little nervous. She's a little trepidatious, but she's, she's in, you know what I mean? She's, she's totally game. And she's got that wide-eyed, very believable I almost want to say Western girl quality, typical Western yeah, girl yeah. age quality, Definitely. but at the same time, extremely intelligent, crafty, and capable. You know, like I said, a proper partner, and you know, feels almost like a female version, almost of 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 Nate with the with the wits and the intelligence, the lightheartedness, the wise cracking. It's like she seems like the perfect addition to this already amazing duo with with nathan and sully yeah she she melds in my opinion and i think emily rose does a really great job making this happen of melding some sort of wide-eyedness with worldliness she's not stupid she's not scared absolutely she's brave and and bold and daring and i always this might come from being having a female writer writing the game but i i always thought that it was no irony that Elena was a great character considering you need a strong female kind of absolutely and you get you get more later with Chloe and others but this 
core is essential. I mean, this is this is uncharted to me. This will oh, these three will always be uncharted. And I remember Greg and I, uh, Greg Miller and I on Podcast Beyond used to argue because I used to say, and I don't want to spoil the other games. I'm not going to, but it's obvious that nothing happens to Sully because he's in the trailers for all of them. And I, I remember I remember it kept saying every time an Uncharted game would come out, I was like, wouldn't it be interesting if they killed Sully? And he would just hate that idea. And it's true in hindsight. I don't know why I would want to shake it up like that. You almost can't imagine one without the other. So let me ask you about the performances generally. Yeah. Tyler Mitchell wrote in and said, hi, guys, I love the series and I love what it's done for PlayStation. It really was the beginning of the current PlayStation identity. That said, the thing I've always felt was so revolutionary about the game was the way Naughty Dog, Naughty Dog got the actors together in a room and had them actually act together. We got the best performances we'd ever seen from a game at that point, and it's rarely topped outside of Naughty Dog. Other than Rockstar, it hasn't. Why do you think this is so uncommon even today? It's funny you bring up Rockstar because I want to reinstill in people. This is a cheap game to make by current standards, but in 2007, this was a very expensive game to make. And it's the only kind of it's money that really only a first party would even bother spending because they get 100 percent of the money back in the game, not 70 percent like a lot of others would get. If you if Ubisoft puts all this energy in, they still have to sell it on someone else's console. And oh, money, good. Right? Point. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So. First parties have the great advantage, like Nintendo's first party is very well known for quality. Their games are just simply not broken. They patch them now, which is which is unbelievable. I remember when. I first saw my Switch downloading a patch. I was like, what? <laughs> but on PS3, we've been getting patches since 2006. And I, I look at it and I'm like, so Nintendo first party, they have the luxury, right? To spend and say, like, our games are going to function. They're really going to work. Of course. And they do. And because they understand a lot of people are never going to plug their Switch into a, in the internet ever. And they're never going to. So, and I think Microsoft did a really, and, and does still do a really nice job with interconnectivity and, and, party gaming and and co-op gaming multiplayer gaming and all that party chat right. i should say and whatever right else. and i think sony decided to spend their money on games and i think that that's really wise and it worked out really really well the reason you don't see games like this at the time and maybe few games like it since is because games get more and more expensive as sean Layden said before he left playstation games are just getting way more expensive to make and we have to kind of make a decision with Horizon Forbidden West as the most recent game for when we were recording this, this is a huge game. It took them five years, probably $150 million God. or more to make. Jeez. Do you do you look at that and say, like, would this be better spent three years on a game that's tw 10 or 12 hours long? Well, th that was the Uncharted games. And I do think what differentiates them is the performances, but it's only something that can really happen when you're willing to invest in it. It's kind of old hat to do it the way they do it now. But the reality is, is that Sony's always going to spend a little more and they're always going to have a little bit more of a reason to do it because if your first party can't shine, then nothing else can shine. I'm just curious if if the collective performances of everyone, not only our three protagonists, but of Roman and Navarro as well and Eddie Raja, you can tell like it is a step above. Yes. And, and again, it's it's a little further away. But thinking back about Halo, we keep using that as a touchstone because it's just so recent for us. It's night and day. It's just totally night and day. And you can see that from that perspective. So from an overall perspective, I mean, had you ever seen if you think about the chronology of the games you've played, this must be the first game that really struck you in this way. Right. Absolutely. In that chronology. Yeah. If you think about it from two, uh, 2007 perspective, Kyle, absolutely. And I know just from making watching the making of Doc that they were at Naughty Dog was after what, quote unquote, proper actors, stage and screen actors to bring that gravitas 
to bring that level of performance that they were, wanted to match with the quality of the rest of the game. It's a, it's kind of amazing thinking back only 15 years that that wasn't really a huge thing yet, or that wasn't a common thing yet. But to you know, to if you're gonna if you're gonna put quality into the effort from soup to nuts, then the voice acting is in a game like this where there's going to be dialogue, where the characters are going to be very important. There's going to be cut scenes. There's going to be a storyline involving these pe- these players, even though there's only a, a handful of protagonists and antagonists. you got to have that quality. And, you know, I guess really pound for pound, it is really, really strong. The, the way they, not only the voice performances, but the way they had them in the room together, the way they did it the, the old-fashioned way or traditionally, where... You know, the characters, the players got to know their characters. They got to know their personalities. They got to actually interact in the same room. They weren't in some sound booth with a pair of headphones on, reading off the script and trying to imagine how the other character was inflecting and all that kind of stuff in a dialogue scene. And it reads, you know, it's really, really strong. In fact, you end up not even, you take it for granted now. But then when you think back, you know, to a decade and a half ago, it's like, no, this wasn't really a common thing yet. And I guess. You know, you think of a guy like Nolan North. He does, he still does the podcast with his pal Troy Baker, right? Yeah, think I, of those two there's dudes. Some, I thought I don't know if they do that anymore. I, I feel like there might be some something between them now. Oh, I don't is know. there? I don't know. I don't. I just I think going. of them I'll, I'll as far as performance, iconic names, some of the first, you know, important names in video game voice acting, but also just the level of charisma. Not only the skill, but the level of charisma that both of these guys have. They're just. They're just great at what they do. And to see that extend to these other ones that I wasn't really familiar with and Emily Rose and uh, Richard McGonagall and the people that played the the three main antagonists, just good shit, man. There's not even a we- there's no weakness in the entire thing. It's really, really nice. And not, not only that, but you could see who the characters are, ech- are echoing. You could see the inspirations in each one of these characters. There's a lot of texture there. And the send ups, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, it's. I'm reading about this now. It seems like they had, they did that retro replay thing together, and then they had apparently some public statement where they, they had some sort of feud and kind of stopped doing the show, so they wouldn't like, ruin shit. their friendship more. I guess that, or whatever. That's a shame. Yeah, I, I don't, I know Troy. I don't. I haven't talked to him in a long time. He, I actually DM him once every couple of years or whatever, just to congratulate him on a role or whatever, and he never responds to me, but. He was always very nice to me, and Nolan North was always really nice to me too. But uh, Nolan North is the the heart and soul of Uncharted, and obviously Troy is the heart and soul of The Last of Us. So with with Ashley, of course. So maybe there's a little bit of rivalry there. I I don't presume to know That's the nature interesting, of their friendship because they're yeah. both so good. It's a it's a, it's one of those friendships that you love to see. You know, definitely, definitely, I agree. Let's talk about some moments here. I, I was curious specifically about what you thought of the U boat reveal, which is a famous part of this game. The plane crash, which is another really famous part of the game. I love when he's when Elena jumps out of the plane and then he's just flying it. And he's like, what am I doing? It's like he's just still flying the plane, even though it's crashing, which is a great, great stuff. But there are a lot of great moments. What I was reminded of, though, in watching this, and maybe it's a little bit of a knock against the game is including the U-boats and therefore including the Nazis is a little too on the nose with indiana jones like why why do they have to be brought in because that was what was so unique about it was because as i've said in the past i think when we talked about indiana jones and you know this and i think a lot of people know this the nazis really were obsessed 
with the arcane and like the and and the supernatural they were they had an entire division of the ss dedicated to it wolfenstein is right is not real but it was kind of rooted in that yes in that especially with himmler who who was incredibly obsessed they were obsessed with finding old ruins and relics and evidence of their greatness and all this and they went all over the world to do it that's where indiana jones comes from yes and that's cool because that that is indiana jones's pocket in the first not so much the second game but in the or second movie but in the first and third movies certainly and in the fourth one it's like kind of more in the cold war so you have like more of the russian enemies although we hate that movie but seeing that i was like yes this is an awesome moment but god can't we just get away from world war ii there there was really no purpose to this because they could have interpreted it through the story as and we see it later on when we find drake's drake's bearded skeleton which is the fucking funniest thing ever when it's like a skeleton with this perfect beard on it i was like (laughs) jesus christ so weird but they could have just left it there where the spanish and and we'll talk about the supernatural elements but the spanish get cursed the british find them and kind of hit a dead end and that's the end i don't really understand why the nazis are even involved in this in some cursory way so i want to knock it for that reason because i feel like it's too indiana jones in that way like just you don't need to be that indiana jones you're threading the needle perfectly you don't need nazis we don't need u-boats U- uk 2642 <laughs> so what do you think of uh, some of these moments what moments stand out to you and do you share my consternation that maybe they go a little too far with the indiana jones stuff in this because of the nazis yeah at that what you're saying completely speaks to me i mean if you think about let's think about not including the nazi elements of this game which become a relatively big thing starting with the discovery that u-boat wedged into the waterfalls which by the way i think is an amazing gorgeous set piece i love seeing that u-boat sort of wedged in there and the into the cliffs with the waterfalls around it. it's really neat so from a visual perspective, it gives it a lot of dimension. But let's take out the Nazi elements for a second. This game is a it, it takes bits and pieces, makes loving reference to things like Indiana Jones, but it stays far enough away. You know, Drew, Nathan, I, I don't know how old he's supposed to be exactly in this game, but he he's he's younger than Indy. I hate to say it this way. I mean it in a positive way, but Nathan Drake is sort of like indie meets like Nick Lachey or something like he's Mm. like boy band handsome, right? He's got, he feels much more contemporary with the jeans and his t-shirt and his neck, you know, his kind of necklace with the ring around. You know what I mean? It just feels much more contemporary, but it's taking a, it's taking a page out of indie, but it's, it's its own thing. Now you're, you're entering this Nazi dimension into the story and it's like, all right, yeah, this is an exact, this is mirroring Indiana Jones, maybe a little too much, but I'll tell you why I love it. I'll tell you why I really like it. It adds a lot to, first of all, again, the visual dimensions, finding the U-boat, that whole adventure, and then later the Nazi underground dungeon-esque labs that they encounter where the game is able to, well, not only for the plot, which we'll get to, but you know, the game sort of enters another resident evil like dimension as a result of that. And I loved that. I love the the surprise. I love the fact that I didn't see it coming at all. And I love the fact that it just makes the game, it's not redundant. It's not repetitive. There's always something different happening. And the game really turns on a dime because of the whole Nazi involvement. And that's why, and that's why I really do dig it. 
you know, and it, it, uh, like you said, it does kind of play into the fact that the Nazis were known for that. You know, they were exploring the occult, the, you know, all of the, you know, history, ancient, I guess, whatever would be considered the ancient powers or whatever. Like, so, like literally like like the Templars and Knights of Knights of the Round Table, like kind of shit. Like they were really into that stuff. Not crazy. all of them, but they were tuned into it. It was it's true. Yeah, it's so. like they almost left no stone unturned in trying to leverage power or what you know, whatever magic they could invoke or whatever. So yeah, so I I did like that. I, you know, it just feels colorful and fun rather than just the pirates, just you know, the rainforest, just the the pursuing or the rival treasure hunter in the Roman character. You added another dimension to it, which I think, you know, feels like a comic book. You know, it feels like a proper something, Some you know, y- you were able to open the door to monsters because of it and stuff like that, which I think was kind of cool. I think it was kind of fun. I want to talk to you about that in a second. All right. But since you had brought up, and we had brought up several times now the villains, we should talk about them. Roby Karobi Zapanta wrote in and said, good day, treasure hunters. How do you feel about the character of Eddie Raja? It was a little sad when they killed the character. I thought he he would have been a really good antihero kind that would work with against or double cross Drake in future games. Did you find him as interesting and fun as I did? He's definitely the most memorable, although least important character. Yeah. You have agreed. Navarro and, and Roman as kind of partners. Roman, of course, the traditional European rich mogul of some sort that's pulling strings. He has his third world. I mean, that's why I was so surprised by the the set. What he was saying, it sounded almost racist because he was saying like, "I found you in a slum." Yeah, and that's interesting. I got to go back and watch that part. And so there's Navarro, and then of course they have this. They don't really get into it, but what I assume is is that they hired the muscle, Raj's muscle, like he's a gangster or something. That yeah, I guess is like the the, the leader, the lieutenant of these people. So you have these three characters. What did you make of them, and 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 who stood out to you the most out of the three of them? Well, Roman, automatically, you have this older gentleman, the rival treasure hunter. He seemed like the Belloc surrogate to me, right? Raiders. Right. Definitely. Indy has his, you know, Indiana Jones has his rival archaeologist. Nathan Drake's got to have his rival treasure hunter, right? That's what, it's, that's what it smacked of to me. And I like, but I like that formula of the enemies going after the same treasure, which by turn makes it a race, right? So- Besides being contested by the native challenges and dangers in this place, Nathan and Elena and Sully, you also have somebody trying to get to the goal first. And, you know, by the way, we'll take you out if it means that they're going to succeed and you're going to fail. So that makes for a proper dangerous character. But again, with with Roman, I wanted to see a little more origins, a little more texture. He's a relatively unexplored character, but... I think he was in there again to create that sense of urgency where it's like this, there's a race for this treasure of El Dorado and God, Nathan, you got to get there first. Cause this guy, this guy means business. I love what they did with the Navarro character because that twist at the end, I had again, just for having proper twists in a video game that were not cliched or hackneyed in any way. Like it felt like a proper surprise when things happened in this game and for as fun as everything was, and I just kind of thought that the Navarro character was Roman's lieutenant, like a mini boss I was thinking of him as, right? Every time Roman popped up, Navarro would be there with his AK or whatever. But the way it plays out was, again, just this unexpected twist where, you know, of course, spoilers, Roman gets turned into one of these zombie Resident Evil type 
undead creatures and he's cursed and then Navarro plugs him in the in the head. So Navarro becomes the heavy for the very final part of the game. And the Eddie Raja character, yeah, I think you're right. I guess he's the domestic, he's the guy, he's the local guy, leader of the pirates, obvious longtime enemy and rival of Nathan's. These two have some history. You could see that in their exchanges. And I wrote this with a question mark. And I think it's interesting in retrospect. I gotta when I play it again, I'll pay more attention to this. But it seems almost obvious to me thinking back that these two are trying not to kill each other. Like there's some sort of not just when they're first squaring off against those undead guys crawling out of the, you know, in that underground passage, crawling out of the wells or whatever, but where they have to cooperate. But there's something there that seems like they're trying there there's some sort of affection there even though obviously they're on the other they they have their goals and their their rivals as a result of that and i read some accounts of fans sort of clamoring to bring back this character because i think with the exception of roman navarro's death and i guess eddie raja's death even though you would think they would die you could leave it open ended that they could come back so that that was interesting to me that people fell that in love with this character. And I think that's because he has that sort of verbal repartee and everything with Nathan. He's almost like you, you want to see these two work together, even if it's begrudgingly, it'd be kind of fun, you know, see Definitely. more of that. Definitely. Yeah, we never get to see, well, you know, Raja obviously dies, but we never get to see him in prequel format either, which is interesting because they do speak to each other like they know each other, like you say, they sure. have history and all this. Navarro turning on Roman, I think, is an encapsulation of that mirror image I was saying in which you see Drake and Sullivan in this trusted relationship that sees it sees itself through the drama. You see the mirror image of them in Roman and Navarro and Navarro turns on Roman. So it's the unexpected thing. And there's a little bit of a of a uh, a path that they take. It's an there. awesome point. Good. Point, yeah. Man. Well, thank you. So. Let me ask you about a few other things. We had brought up the supernaturalism in the game. Devin K. This is very controversial in the game. Devin K. wrote in and said, hey, Colin Dig, I could not believe it when Uncharted Drake's fortune brought the cursed descendants in towards the end of the game. Naughty Dog somehow added horror like elements into this action packed game, and it was a great surprise for me. What were your impressions when the supernatural elements of, the, of Uncharted Drake's fortune came to light? Thanks. Some people really don't like this. I know. And and um, I don't know that I really have a problem with it. I just wish it wasn't that. I don't mind it. I think it's a very satisfying ending. It kind of makes sense. You, again, we have the suspension of disbelief with Uncharted, but it's not su you're only kind of half suspending your disbelief. So you would expect that these ancient relics, it's not unlike Indiana Jones. There is supernatural shit in Indiana Jones, too. It's just not quite on the nose like this. I mean, the uh, well, uh, I mean, <laughs> in Temple of Doom, the dude's ripping people's hearts out of it. <laughs> so it's really not. And I love that stuff. I mean, I love oh, that so scene good. when he's on the ladder and he's like just praying and whatever and so oh, i love that guy. also so, controversial though a lot of people don't like it right exactly temple you know? of doom is we when we talked about it a lot of people think that movie's racist and all the rest we will talk about it again because we have to do better indiana Jones. yeah we have to do but, one by one yeah but um we didn't know what we were doing early on in the run but <laughs> devin is curious about what you think of the super, supernaturalism i took a, a positive question here but we definitely got negative inquiries about this as well again i would have preferred that they figured out a way to not do that but i don't hate it it's it's a pulp action movie basically that's so what, the way I what do you make of it it seems like you do like it i do and i think uh, looking at it in a pulpy comic booky way is a, is a positive way to look at it i think you know just for pound for pound for what the game gives you i think it gives you more 
You know, it's like, all right, now it took a it took a proper turn. Yes, it felt a little like, oh, this game just became a Resident Evil game, which is really weird. But I think it was successful in one. I know I'm easily rattled, but it scared me. I was like, what the, you know, I was act. those things are actually creepy. You're fighting in this dark lab with flickering lights and just the sounds of like dripping pipes. It was really, it added a whole nother atmosphere to the game. This game did for environments and atmosphere. This game was very, again, very similar to Halo CE for me because it did this very cool thing of moving in and out of these vast outdoor organic expanses and then having you in more claustrophobic inside indoor confines and then going back out to the outdoors again. And this was a, it shifted on a dime again where it's like, okay, now you're in this, you're in these, you know, you're in the rainforest or you're in these ancient temples or ruins that are hundreds and hundreds of years old. Now you're in these labs that are of like the thirties or forties. You're in this whole nother, environment so it just added a little more dimension added a little more variety which was really fun but one thing i also realized you realize maybe a third into this game no matter where you go right you're in the depths you're in the bowels of the earth you're in these underground temples there's always pirates down there you're always running afoul of pirates these guys are like everywhere it gets cartoony it's like how are the pirates down here you know i fell into a place where people haven't been in hundreds of years or whatever I don't think they could have kept doing that with the places that you go. So they almost had to introduce another enemy like Halo had the covenant and then they had to introduce the flood, right? This was another thing Mm. was like, let's add another enemy to make it make a little more sense within the story confines of the game. It's a little more believable that these there's these monsters under there rather than pirates waiting for you down there, you know? So it just, maybe that was part of the thinking with that where it was like all right maybe we could just add another enemy but yeah i felt like it was a lot of fun and if you're thinking about it it's interesting right it's almost like because it's a video game you could give it a pass but if this type of thing played out in an indiana jones film it would be a lot harder to pull off right in a live action film it would just come off as hokey even something that's campy by its nature right but in the video game i just felt like yeah i just felt like yeah i i I went in for it completely Right on. I want to ask you about three different silos that I think are important to this game, just to kind of get your your take on them. The first I want to ask you about is pacing. How do you think the game does with pacing between combat and story and exploration and puzzle solving and all of that? I'm not much of a puzzle guy in, in games. I fucking hate puzzles in games, <laughs> but they're not too complicated here. So how do you feel that they because the, the game kind of starts frenetically, but that's a really more of a tutorial on the boat. Mm, but true. a lot of it is climbing and and all of this and just kind of exploring. I'm curious how you felt the game was paced if you ever felt like you were bored. Never, never. I always felt engaged. I feel like this game was one of those games that does just enough. It's not too complex. It's accessible. I mean, I'm examining it right from a gamer who's relatively green, especially for third person action or third person shooters or whatever. The cost for entry, again, was really low. Just minutes where I got, I felt acclimated. I felt relatively comfortable. The learning curve wasn't steep, and I got better and better as I went along. I think by the, by the end of the game, I was really 
I think I really had command of it. You know what I mean? Where I mm-hmm. felt like it felt like a properly satisfying experience. And, you know, it is a three pronged formula for this game. It has a nice rhythmic back and forth between the three gameplay modes. As you said, the combat, the platforming, and then the puzzle solving. But I think the intent of the game, especially in being so short and squeezing so much in, is that it is intended to play at a relatively brisk pace. You're, race, you're a treasure hunter. You're racing for this treasure. There's a lot of dangers at play. You're racing against rival treasure hunters. So that energetic sense of urgency is important. And I always, and I felt like they did a nice job of saying, okay, this is going to be a combat segment. Then you're going to do some platforming. The puzzle solving is very light. It doesn't really stop or interrupt the momentum. You know, it's light to very light exploration. Even if you wanted to hunt for the 60 treasures, it doesn't really take you off course too far. And then repeat from square one. And then one, two, three, one, two, three, over and over again. And I think each thing within that formula, each of the three-pronged attack was really fun. I thought the combat was fun. I thought the cover system was really satisfying where you could just kind of take cover behind terrain, you know, hide behind the wall, hide behind, you know, hide in the doorway and then pop out, attack, pop back into cover, reload. You have a couple of different guns at one time. You have to mind your ammunition. There's a there was enough variety of the weapons, although not an overwhelming amount. Um, just enough to manage if you have that OCD like I have where you, you pop behind cover, make sure you're fully loaded. After all the enemies in an area cleared, make sure you take the time to reload, restock on the weapons, maybe switch out something for something else. And then the platforming too, Kyle. I think the platforming for me, I know platforming has gotten a lot better in the last decade and a half, but for me, it was fun and it was fluid. You know, the running jumping, climbing, and hanging. Again, thinking like from the early Tomb Raider efforts, like this is what you guys meant by this. Adds a palpable sense of peril and danger too, just via the terrain, you know, from the tangled up rainforests and the crawling with pirates, right, to the ancient temples riddled with booby traps and everything in between. Later on, the Nazi labs and some terrifying heights. You know, there were some Early on, especially, there were some real heart in your throat moments where you're climbing that um, fort, that fortress, mm-hmm. and you're hundreds of feet off the ground, and you feel it. You know, you really feel a sense of like, oh shit, I don't want to fall. You know, which is a rare experience in a video game for me. Like, I haven't really, I've played some great third person action, but to actually have that level of platforming where you felt your hands actually physically tingling you know, a few times where it was, uh, you know, really fun. And again, the puzzle solving, light, not annoying. Just look at your journal, figure out what to do. Maybe you give it a couple of tries. Doesn't really break the momentum. Doesn't really break the pace. And I liked that. And I liked going back and forth. They were very careful with, I felt, not getting boring because after the puzzle solving, then you go back up to combat. Then repeat, rinse and repeat. So it was. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a really fun formula. And, you know, there's little dimensions too, like with the combat, don't hide behind certain elements, behind certain terrain, because after it's shot or exploded with a grenade, that the crate or the stone wall is going to deteriorate. It's going to break. So you have to move. So there was just enough of those other things where, you know, you could play around with grenades, stuff like that. There was just enough to play around with and experiment with where, again, it wasn't overwhelming and it stayed fun. 
And I think that's got to be hard to design gameplay like that, you know, because there's probably this flop sweat of wanting to squeeze too much in and then you make it, you know, you make it a little bit uh, stressful for the player rather than something that's just smooth and free and easy. And I think I got that from this game. The second thing I wanted to ask you about is the history in the game. How do you feel that the game executed on its historical story and its intrigue with the British explorers and Nathan Drake and his fake death and the ring and all the rest. Were you intrigued by this? Definitely. I mean, one of the things that I'm looking forward to is how they're going to play out the thing of Nathan, I guess, being a descendant of Sir Francis Drake, who was a real explorer, right? You learned about, probably learned about him in middle school and the whole thing with the pirates also running for the treasure, the treasure of El Dorado, which is like this historical thing that people thought was a man, then people thought it was a city, people thought it was a treasure. I don't know where they finally landed. Is it an empire? But this legendary mythical treasure of El Dorado. So tying in real things, tying in the, the Spanish and the conquistadors and the, the Nazis and their fascination with this sort of the ancient stuff, I thought that was really cool. And then being able to play with it, being able to take liberties and say, okay, let's, make, let's just make this a fun story. But that's the that's the thing for me. I want to see Nathan's tie to this iconic, legendary explorer. And you know, the other thing that I really enjoyed about the zombies, about those monster creatures, were that was sort of a parable in a way too, because those were supposedly supposedly the treasure seeking Spaniards that got turned, that ran afoul of this cursed treasure, and were turned into these creatures. Right. So it was another thing like they suffered for their greed or whatever type of thing. But Nathan's doing the same shit. You know, Nathan's just Definitely. the latest vestige of that. So it was kind of fun. The third thing I wanted to ask was about the violence in the game. And Braxton Wilkerson wrote in and said, how do you guys feel about how many people Drake kills in this game? I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a ton of fun, but you kill hundreds of people. This would make him one of the most prolific mass murderers in the world. Thoughts. <laughs> so. This is brought up all the time, and it's true. It's something that you can't avoid. It's funny because you have to kind of just suspend your disbelief. He is murdering these dudes. I mean, it's not really murder if they're coming after you. He's not like killing anyone in cold blood, but it is notable, and it's a weird balance that Naughty Dog kind of has to figure out throughout the games of being like, this is a happy-go-lucky guy doing his thing, finding his treasures, ring around his neck, and then he's blasting dudes with m6 grenade launchers right <laughs> so i'm wondering how you felt about that balance of the action and the violence and if it kind of stood out to you as something that was funny or that was uh unimmersive or if it just kind of worked yeah you know I, i'm such a sensitive dude i always think of stuff like this it just it's automatically gonna dawn on me it's gonna play into my experience and there are just masses countless hundreds of faceless expendable pirate dudes getting mowed down at your behest. You know, like that's just what's happening here. And, you know, it's funny in the amount of just, not that the enemies respawn, you could actually clear areas, which I was happy to see. Like, you know, there's a there's a finite amount of pirates in each area and you have to mow them down, but there's a lot. You're ta you're, as we said early on and have joked throughout the episode, there is a steep body count in this game. And I think... Because of that fun adventure serial tone and the personalities of the protagonists and that sort of lighthearted, I refuse to admit that I'm in danger sort of flavor to this game, I think that's what makes it work. 
Because this same type of thing where you're just taking bodies, every every sort of chapter in this game, you're just taking dozens of dudes out. And I think it could get very dark had it not been for the tone of the game where you just, it's almost like you feel like it's supposed to be overlooked or something. You know, it's like, or or it's integrated as part of the fun. It's a little effed up when you think about it that way. Yeah. yeah. But because of the tone and because, but, but it's no different than Indiana Jones, you know, knocking Nazi soldiers off of cliffs and, you know, shooting the the uh, scimitar wielding dude at, at the in the bazaar, like it's no different. It's the same thing. It's it's played out in a funny tone, so it's lighthearted and jovial. But this game just pulls that off for me. Like I just love that. It, it's the exact opposite. It flies in the face of something that's more serious, like I don't know, like a Bioshock game, right? Or um, yeah, something like that. Where it's I, I think a Bioshock Infinite actually where it's like much more serious where you feel the the damaging the damage that you wrought you're really feeling that you know what i mean where in this game it's like ah it's just part of the fun <laughs> yeah i know it totally is this is one of the great challenges in game design and no one knows the answer i mean obviously no one knows the answer it would have it's happened hard. already which is how do you interact with these games without violence and you don't it's it's very rare even games like and i really like uh, death stranding a lot i think it's a great game actually but even that game couldn't quite get away from the violence like it's okay. still you're still fighting something you're still shooting at something and i played it in such a way where i, I shot as little as possible because i was like i want to just play a game where i'm not killing things if i can avoid it not because i really have any moralistic problem no just, just because it's refreshing it's right it's like the mechanic is the same where we're killing the ghosts in Pac-Man. We're shooting the ships in space or the aliens in Space Invaders. We're jumping on the mushrooms Great and the point. turtles in Mario. We're shooting the robots in Mega Man. We're whipping the skeletons in Castlevania. We're... And so it's not really a new problem. I think one of the reasons why it's so encapsulated in this is because the game is so much better than a lot of the other stuff that was coming before it that it started to bring into focus problems that need to be dealt with, which is how do you kill less people? Like, I actually think, and I won't spoil it for you at all in story, but Uncharted 4 kind of does, as I recall, I only played it through once, but I was like, there's not a lot of combat in this. It feels, or it reminds me of The Last of Us Left Behind as well, the DLC for The First Last of Us, where there's very little fighting in that, which I loved. In fact, I wish that you got through the entire thing without fighting, because I think that would have been really daring. Mm. But I do like the weapon selection. Like you said, the gunplay is fine. The cover-based stuff is fine. Regenerative health is a choice that they made which i, I think love is very that. i love do that you, too do you like that yes you like uh, that i think mechanic. That, yeah definitely i mean it doesn't always work in every game you have your wolfensteins and everything where you have health or far cry sure. but then you have games like call of duty where you're just you're kind of the insinuation i've actually always heard it and i think it might have been amy hennig that even described it like this which is as drake is getting like hurt in quotes it's actually the bullets getting closer and closer and like it's supposed to be encapsulating that the killing blow is coming the more you go, right? That's, like it's not supposed to necessarily be that you're getting hit with the bullets. I didn't like that. get that. And I don't think all games are, are activated like that, but I think that that's kind of the intention is to be like, I getting, love like, that you're getting hit. idea. Even to try to incorporate something that thoughtful is really, yeah, she's, she's something else. Yeah, definitely. Really, that's so, really, really cool. I think so too, because when you think about it, I, I think someone told me, I like shooting guns. I don't know a lot about them, but. When you shoot a gun, by the time you hear it, the bullet's already in the ground because like that's how fast it moves. 
So you're a lot of things are going on. And yeah. could, you could imagine, not that I'm a sharpshooter, but you can imagine that you were going to miss more than you hit someone as you're emptying your gun. And so it's an interesting way for them to deal with it as well. But I think generally the focus on violence is funny. It's the focus throughout the series, but I think it's just a focus because they I you have to ask the question, like, do you want to have fun or do you want to worry about why Nathan Drake has killed a thousand people? Yeah. I think people have done videos where they've literally gone and tried to count like how many people does Nathan Drake kill in these games? And it's funny. It actually is funny. It comes out on the other side of funny, but it's a great conversation. And you know what, Kyle? It especially applies to, for me, and I know a lot of parents out there, just being a dad, just being a mom or a dad, being a parent. When you're, you know, my son is 11, he'll be 12, your nephew. My daughter's 15. She's not really a gamer, but you know how it applies to them because that's where really, really where you're mindful of it. For, for myself, it's like I grew up playing video games. I get it. I'm not going to be a mass murderer. Like there's no danger in that. I see it as pure entertainment. I'm a good dude. I would never hurt anybody type of thing. But you do think about it for your kids, not that it's going to harm them in some psychological way, but just in hoping that they see it the same way because they're, they're of you, but they're not you, right? Everybody's sure. an individual. So, and just wanting to be protective of them and wanting them to be introduced to things in a timely fashion when they're ready. You know, Graydon's already playing Fortnite, really into it, playing online with his friends. That's what he does. You know, that's his main thing that he does socially with his friends. That's not in person. And it's a violent, it's a, it's a shooter. You know what I mean? That's what it is. So it is an interesting part of the conversation. And there are precious few games that, deal with some sort of other primary mechanic besides, you know, shooting, firing, killing, you know, guns, all that kind of stuff. And I love, I love, I love shooters. I love first person shooters, third person shooters, but it is an interesting part of the conversation. <laughs> and there, I mean, so many pirates are dying. All that's missing is the Wilhelm screams, man. I mean, there's so many pirates going down in this game. It's, it's almost sad. It is. It's you. You wonder about these guys. Like the. the <laughs> well, I think Austin Powers gets in a little bit into that, like yes. the henchmen, like who the henchmen are when you really think yes. about it. Which I think is is funny. They actually cut that whole thing from the first movie, right? It was in the first movie. But yeah, it's in the, the extras. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that. So it's it's like other people are thinking about this as well, but nonetheless, I think it's it's fun and it <laughs> it's works. Like, it's it's campy. This guy's a family of five, but I'm just gonna mow him down anyway. <laughs> Right. And then his body's going to disappear because there's not enough RAM to, to remember that it's there. So it's really quite, quite. Uh, Hope he insulting. drops a good gun. Albert Hendrickson, I guess this is kind of like 3A as far as the questions I wanted to ask you. But he says, I am pretty sure that this is the Uncharted game that I played the most. I played when it came out and then I platinumed it when trophies were patched in on the PS3. This is important to note. Patch trophies didn't exist when Uncharted came out. Oh, and shit. The, the following year in 2008, it was patched for trophies. 2008. OK, right. So how do you feel about the difficulty? I personally think that it's crushing mode can be cheap and somewhat unfair compared to later games in the series because of the monster closets and bad checkpointing. I want I, I don't I'm sure you play it on normal. That's totally fine. That's how yeah. I usually play a game through the first time as well. Sometimes I'll play on hard. Crushing has to be unlocked. But and I've beaten the game on crushing twice because I have the platinums for the games. What I recall is that there are inc some incredibly hard parts in this game, including the plane crash scene, which I remember being like where you're fighting guys or when you get the, the, the map out of the plane and then you're kind of rappelling down the yes. plane and you fight in yeah. that forested arena. That's really yep. cool. I remember that part being really hard, but generally that is speaking, a hard part. this game is, is decent enough at, I think, balance. If you want to go seek out the harder modes, they're there. But I think it was fine. I, I, again, because I didn't play it for this one, I 
watched it because I haven't played it in years. I, I recall the first one and the third ones being the most annoying. And specifically in watching the gameplay, I was like, yeah, I remember this part being totally obnoxious. And I remember the, the on crushing the first time you see the enemies when you're fighting with Raja on the circular platform is is uh, really difficult, too. How did you feel? How did you find the uh, the difficulty? Yeah, I've heard tales about crushing mode. I don't even know if I would go there at this point. I don't think I'm experienced enough. But yeah, normal difficulty, I'll be honest with you. I found it a little too easy. I think it's one of the things that detracted from the experience. One of the few problems that I think maybe is the most glaring problem was I thought on normal, it was a little too easy. But that's very easily remedied. You just go up to the next difficulty level. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But yeah, my experience on, on normal was I felt like the platforming was a little too forgiving. And there's really no cost for repeating the combat sections. Eventually, you're just going to get it. You know what I mean? You're going to start with the same amount of ammo. You start with the same weapons. You don't lose anything necessarily. In very rare cases, did I get, you know, did I drop a weapon and not be able to get it back if I wanted a, a specific loadout or whatever? So there was really no punishment. The punishment wasn't steep enough for repeating stuff. Even the quick time events, I was like, what is the purpose? Of this? I'm just going to keep doing it until I get it right. You right know, type of thing. Right. So yeah, I, I found it a little too easy, maybe. On normal, on normal. Yeah, anyway. that's in, that's interesting feedback. I think I don't think they wanted it to be. We played God of War, 2005's God of War recently, and that game I think has much more difficult. I would argue ridiculous QTs in some of it. Of course, that is one of the games that popularized QT. That in this one, you're, in this one, hard. you're yeah, you're more like mashing triangle to the game. You have to let the game load. That's basically what they're doing is trying to hide exactly, loads, but exactly. All right, I want to ask you about the music. Anthony C wrote in and said, hey, Moriarty Bros, just wanted to mention that Nate's theme is one of gaming's greatest tracks. It sounds so heroic and fits the adventurous nature of the series perfectly. Thank you, Colin, for letting me know on Discord, a Patreon perk that I still have time to post this. Love listening to you guys. Have a great week. You're welcome. Anthony. Oh, thank you. That's thank you for writing in. What did you think of the music? You know, Nate's theme, of course, is incredibly well known, but I'm wondering what how you felt about the the audio accompaniment, which is iconic. From so awesome, dude. It feels very epic. And so appropriate for a grand adventure, right? Like John Williams for the indie movies. Hate to bring, keep bringing up Indiana Jones. But no, you got it. I mean, that's, that's obvious. It's just what, you know what I mean? It's just at the same time though, the score, it's, it's interesting, the music in this one for me. I really thought about this one for a while because the score at the same time is feeling John Williams-esque and big. It feels natural, you know, it blends and it matches the visual atmosphere and the flavor of the, of the game. And I guess... Just again, in watching the making of stuff, the companion footage and and stuff that goes along with this game, I guess there was a sort of philosophy with the overall audio, and it does make sense if I'm thinking about it, to share the billing, if you will, between the musical score and the environmental sound effects, which I thought was kind of a refreshing philosophy, right? So letting the sounds like the fluttering birds when you walk into an area or the footsteps on on, on the stone or the rustling of the leaves or the rushing water to let that sort of come through too, you know? And I think that balance between the music and the sound effects really makes for a distinctive and rich atmosphere. And it adds to the experience because the music comes in and out when it's important. And sometimes the sound effects take center stage. And that was really interesting rather than have one work against the other or try to fit one in at a lower volume or something, or have them overlap. I like the big bombast of the musical movements like Nathan's, like the Nathan theme. And when it gets rousing like that, and then there's quiet moments where you just have a, like a stalactite 
dripping or something like in the Nazi labs and stuff, echoing footsteps. And then you go back and forth between the music and the sound effects and everything works in tandem. I thought that was the 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 audio seemed like it didn't seem like an afterthought, like in some games. It seemed like a very mindful, very thoughtful thing. And also, you know, it was really cool for me. I can't think of other games that do this, but obviously there are some where the musical cues let you know what's going on in the game. Like when an area is cleared of enemies, that little sting will play that you know it's clear and you could go collect your ammunition and stuff like that. I liked, and it's almost like a Pavlovian thing where after a while you're like, oh, that keeps happening when all the enemies in the area. So it's like this thing, this reminder that it's okay to move forward. I love little things like that. You know, it's like, again, things that work, the sound working in, in tandem with the with the gameplay. Super, super cool. Like it's, everything feels so lovingly crafted. Definitely. And I I feel like the sound or lack thereof is is brought to bear in that really great scene where they're where Elena's running and she almost runs into the spike trap with the one of Raja's men on it. And Drake says at that point something like that. There's no sound like we're being watched and they take a good advantage of of the sound there by you're kind of getting conditioned by that point to hear the birds, to hear the stone falling in the water. And occasionally you fall into a pit and die and you hear, Nay! from <laughs> <Yeah>. Sully. <laughs> Sometimes over and over again. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ari Levi wrote in and said, Hey brothers, M. I played games on the PS2 when I was little, but my deeper love of gaming came in the PS3 generation and uncharted Drake's fortune was the game that set that passion in motion. I had never played a game so cinematic with characters that felt so real. There's a certain magic to the banter Nate has with Sully and Elena during gameplay, something that now seems to be a staple amongst uh, all of PlayStation's games. How important do you think Drake's fortune was in shaping the future style of Sony's first party catalog? So mm. as we wrap up, and it's something I kind of said in the beginning, but I want to reiterate, is that you can all lines draw back to this game, all of them. And when you see the games that were greenlit after that and what came of it, this was the game that proved that Sony had this new archetype moving forward. You can say that God of War and God of War 2, both of which came out before this, were kind of a step in that direction. You can also argue that there were third party games around this time, like Heavenly Sword and other, I'm sorry, second party games like Heavenly Sword and others that were going down this action route. But I would argue that this particular feel, this particular look, this particular groundedness and all of the rest is exactly what Sony first party is known for. And I don't think anyone considered Naughty Dog the best studio in the world before this game. And I think that it was this game and specifically Uncharted 2 that made them, I like Uncharted 3 better and and we'll get to that, but a lot of people like Uncharted 2 better. And I think it was around then when people kind of understood this is what it is. And it's a hard thing to replicate. I mean, it's very well known that they had a hard time making Uncharted 4, that it drove Amy Hennig out of, this, out of the studio, that she hasn't released a game since wow. Uncharted 3, right? And she will she'll she'll come to and, and she's yeah. doing her thing the star wars game got canceled and all the rest that she was working on when she was at visceral and and uh and all the rest so she'll come back and i think she might have some writing credits on that game for spoken that's coming out soon although i don't know for sure it's a playstation 5 game from square enix but oh that's cool just as a hard, writer right it's yeah. hard to do this and it can't be understated when project it was called project big in its development Again, just how much of a massive move this was to have people work on a game like this. And you just didn't know. And PS3 was just in desperate straits at this time. And it's the fat PS3 era, you know, $600. It's really more like the $500 PS3 era. But 
it was difficult that you needed a draw and this game was a draw. And you know, the other thing that I want to say in, in closing and I'll throw it over to you and you can say whatever you need to say mm. is just, it reminds me that games don't have to be very long to be very impactful. I love open world games. I love spending lots and lots of times with game. I, I spent a hundred hours with Far Cry six. I played Returnal for 80 hours. I, you know, but I don't always want that. And I think a triple a slickly made game like this doesn't have to be much more than what this one is. And the other Uncharted games get a little longer. They certainly get more polished, but I wish people, I would, if this game came out today, people would be like, it's too short. And that's too bad because it might be one of the reasons why Naughty Dog or why Sony, if I'm sure another studio would probably do it, is why they haven't remade it because I think it's, it's just too short. And that's so interesting. That's to too hear. bad because it's really not too short. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I want to say. What, what do you think? They, well, you know, that, that's an interesting place to start. I mean, isn't there room for everything, though? If you want something like you, if you want something long, you play The Last of Us, right? If you want something shorter, you play one of the Uncharted games. And then, you know, I would think, I guess the way people are looking at it is a little bit of squeezing as much quantity into a $60, $70, $80 game right they want that bang for for their buck and that automatically equivocates to length right you think about oh, i'm getting i'm getting the most for my dollar because this is a long game i wonder if that's part of the conversation as somebody who's not you know an avid contemporary gamer although i'd love to be and i'm playing more and more but i wonder if that's a part of it and i would just think from the outset that there's room for a little bit of everything what i love about this game is that there is so much bang for your buck within a short time. And I think that's probably, I would argue, although I don't make games, I would think that's a harder game to make to squeeze this much into, let's say, 10 hours rather than say, okay, we got 40 hours. We could put the everything and the kitchen sink into this, right? We have to make this a, a thoughtful, fun, well-paced journey, and we only have this much time. So I think that's kind of a feat. And I really loved my experience. And the thing about it is that it's quality from A to Z. Yes, it's a legendary franchise. Everybody knows it. But I didn't even realize how important and influential this specific game was, this initial outing. But in looking at this game overall, it has everything. It really does for me. It has characters, great characters that are memorable Awesome gameplay that I found really fun. Story, graphics, and animation that were really ahead of their time. I know the artists and the developers at Naughty Dog credit that largely to the PS3, or rather, I should say, the evolution from the PS2 to the, to the PS3, where they were going from, you know, they were, it was just they had so much more horsepower to deal with graphically and for the animation and the music. Everything is so thoughtful. It's such a thoughtful package and it's such a satisfying experience to, and something I get to benefit from doing knockback is like, especially the fan voted topics. I appreciate them so much because when something's so storied and talked about and, and beloved as the Uncharted series, and then you kind of get to experience it yourself and you're like, oh yeah, I, I totally get it. Like you're, everybody's completely right. I don't know what I'm always thinking. I don't know why I go into it thinking like, you know, you're always thinking like, all right, arms crossed. How great can this be? Come on, guys. Right, give me course. a break. And yeah, then you I'm experience there. it and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, I, 
yeah, this is amazing. So that's that's so fun. And I don't think I don't think I've had the experience on knockback where I haven't felt that. But this might be one of the most dynamic instances of that where it's like, oh yeah, like especially this being the fledgling outing, it's like I I can't wait to crack into number two and number three and number four. So it's been, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Again and again, like a game. I'm sorry to have to put away. We we got an epic game coming up that I have to spend a lot of time with. So you got to kind of move on. But I'll be looking back to, you know, visiting the second iteration now. Right on, man. Well, is there anything else left unsaid that you wanted to say before we pull it over to you for a dad joke or you're ready to execute? Yeah, man. (laughs) You know what I thought of in all this? What makes it so fascinating for us, right? We're thinking about treasure hunters, right? Any story about treasure hunters? Vampire hunters, mm-hmm. Nazi hunters, bounty hunters. Bounty hunters, yeah. There's just something so fascinating about hunters, right? You can, It's almost like you can't go wrong. No, no, right? You can't. It's Especially treasure hunters, I would, I would argue for sure. Was there anything else that I wanted to say? No, you know, there was, that was the other thing. The ratio of positives to negatives in this game. The biggest negative I could come up with, besides the difficulty, I thought, but but again, just ratcheted up to the next difficulty level, was. The grenades were, I don't know how you guys or Kyle, if you agree with me, you guys and girls out there, but the grenades were completely useless. The blast radius is so small, right? You could, if somebody was hiding behind one of those breakable background environmental elements, like a stone wall or or shipping crate, I guess you could explode it to get them out of cover. But besides that, you were not, I, I don't think I killed one person in 16 hours with a grenade. And I tried. And you know, these pirates are down to die. We know that. You're right, right. You know, They're you, not they have no self-preservation. The grenades no. were just they were just they were just interesting. Horrendous. I could I couldn't believe they were even in the game. It was like, what what is even happening right now? All right, my friend. Yeah, let's move on to the dad joke. That was fun. Oh yeah, this is a good one. Brought to us today, Kyle, by our friend Zach F via I believe Instagram. Kyle. It's been months since I ordered the book, How to Scam People Online. It still hasn't arrived yet. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good stuff. Not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. I feel like Zach could have made that one up. He might have. Someone has to make all these things up. I always think about that. Like, who made this up? (laughs) It's good, but it feels homemade. Like, we were talking about the story about how everyone in high school knew someone who knew someone that got a hot dog stuck in their vagina. Have we someone have made talked that up. about that on yeah, any we have of podcasts? Uh, we, no, not with anyone else. Just me and you. Just me and you. Amazing. Why is that? I don't know I what don't that's know. all about. I mean, I know what it is. You know what it is, right? We talked about this, right? No. I, what really happened was the girl got pregnant. But I don't know why. And that's why, because to avoid that embarrassment for her, for her family, I think that's what it is. Interesting. But I don't know why would it have to be something so far-fetched and widely used as the hot dog slash sometimes frozen hot dog story. Um, it would have to so weird. probably be a frozen. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Let's, let's stop. All right. Sorry well, if there's children in the room. And sorry well, if you were barbecuing tonight. Yeah, well, it's fine. <laughs> I don't get grossed out by stuff, so I was just like, whatever, man, I'm going to eat. All right. Well, adios, assholes. It was good to talk to you all about Uncharted and Drake's Fortune. And 
It's available on PS3 and PS4 if you want to check it out. You should if you haven't played it. Hopefully you haven't listened to this without having played it. Thank you all for your kindness, love, and support on Patreon. Patreon.com slash media. Leave us nice reviews on iTunes and other places if you can. We appreciate it. Tell your friends and family about the show. Um, and we'll see you next time. Until then, goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Stephen Innerfield, Eddie Medina, Jason R. Zahn, Christopher Knock, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Nuclear Prostate, Jonas Young, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Benjamin Muma, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Allen Ruley, Tyler Watkins, Michael Buffle, Troilus True, Dan Root, Isabella Hope, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Greek Thunder, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Zal Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Cruxes, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allum, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan Arkitredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., Dave Bostic, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Daryl Rodriguez, Damon W., Fat Houdini, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algret, Dominic, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, John Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton Kay, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jorge Powell, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gonholiger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, Brent Linquist, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.